Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Jonah is my name. <laughs> Wait, watch this. I'm going I'm to... Where my pause. name is Jonah. See if this sounds like a weird effect. Ready? Steven. Did that travel through your, your, your holes, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Brad, you should auto-tune a whole episode. That Wait, didn't crazy. we do that once? You no. requested that, and I geeked out and explained to you how auto-tune works. <laughs> That's on a previous episode. You can go back yeah, and listen to it. Go back and listen to that fascinating convo. In the Going Off Track archives. <laughs> um, Followed by our great conversation on bass traps. Yes. And Brad, of course, our producer. Hey. Mm. You want to talk about bass traps some more? <laughs> I find that shit fascinating. They need to be really big. <laughs> Today on the podcast... <laughs> We have <laughs> a couple of guys who would love to talk about bass traps. Yes. Or yoga. Or kids. Yeah. How about those kids? <laughs> oh, God. Croup. Oh, God. Let Croup. me cut this off now. This, uh, is, this is number this one in our series of podcasts devoted to the band Overseas. Yes. So we did two podcasts dedicated to Overseas who are an amazing band featuring Dave Bazan of Pedro the Lion, Matt and Bubba Cadane, who are in one of my favorite bands, Bedhead, and also The New Year. And Will Johnson, who's in Centromatic, who are another amazing band. And uh, they came together. Um, despite three, all odds. Despite all odds and all schedules and geography. And they made a record, self-titled record. And it's fucking awesome. And if you're fans of any of these bands, you'll like it. And even if you're not, it's such a unique, cool album. The story behind it's awesome. They came out to New York and played a couple shows. And they were amazing. And uh, I don't know what they'll be doing in the future, um, because they are all kind of touring in separate acts, but hopefully they'll be doing more. But two episodes, this first one, Stephen, who's this, this one This with? is with uh, Bubba and Will. So Bubba Cadane and Will Johnson um, talking about overseas, among other things. And stay tuned for an episode with Dave Bazan and Matt Cadane coming up after this one. And by after, he means next week. Yes. <laughs> Today on Going Off Track, we have uh, Will Johnson and Bubba Cadane. I'm pronouncing that right? That's correct. Beautiful. From overseas, and you might know Will from Centromatic, and Bubba from Bedhead, The New Year. Um, anything I'm missing? No, that's it. All right. You're usually is, pretty on it with keeping track I, of all the bands. That is true. Well, I listen to all these bands a lot, so it makes Nailed it super it. easy. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are in town with Overseas, your band with um, Dave Bazan and your brother Matt. Correct. So how did this band get started? Had you guys all toured together before? Uh, Matt and I have known Will for a long time. Mm. Since, what did we figure out since when? 1990, I 1990. think. 1990. Matt so. used to buy me drinks. <laughs> when he was underage. When I was underage. not allowed to buy drinks. <laughs> yeah. like, We've known each other that long. Yeah. <laughs> so, 1990, before computers. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, when you had to actually use paper maps and street signs and stuff like that to get to around. Call the promoter or the payphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we so we've known Will for a long time. And then Dave opened up for the new year. Uh, I just realized this the other day. It was in 2002 on a West Coast tour. So we've known him that long. You, I think you've known him a little longer than that. So three or four. Yeah, or, or around the same time. And so we've all known each other for a while. And then uh, sometimes my brother and I play just duo shows, the two of us. And Will asked us to play in, I think it was 2008. Yeah. 2008 or so. To open up for Centromatic for a show in Dallas. And we were playing some shows around that time before the last New Year record came out. 
So we did that. It was great. We had a great time. We had just been, I guess, with Dave at some point, too. <clears throat> and there was this idea that because those two guys tour solo a lot, Will and Dave, and Matt and I were doing that, it was kind of in the air that, you know, the four of us should get in a car and just hit the road and play shows. But the idea was not to play together. The idea was like, you know, Will would do his show, we would do our show day. You know what I mean? It's just as a touring group of guys playing their own stuff. Troubadours. Exactly. And uh, we decided to be fun. Sounded like fun. And so we decided we were going to do that. And uh, I think it was Matt at one point said, you know, it would be cool if we actually recorded something that could be like a tour CD or something. like. It was very, you know, just throw something out, you know, throw out an idea. Maybe we could turn it into something to, to make it kind of a special thing or whatever. So we thought that's a great idea. We should start trying to collaborate on some music or something gradually it turned into us you know recording some different things passing it around will recorded some drum tracks in austin matt and i had a few little demo pieces of music and we decided this is kind of starting to gel it's starting to work let's go to studio and we there's a studio that we use in that the new year has used that will and Centromatic have used outside of Denton, kind of out in the country. It's a great place to go. And so we decided to meet there and just see how it went. Turns out, long story short, we ended up working on a record because it was going so well and never did that tour, you know, that we originally set out to do. We ended up forming a band and, you know, making a record. And then that was like around 2009, and, uh, you know, having that come out four years later, you know, after just sort of working on it here and there and fine-tuning it, and then here we are doing this. So the I'm, pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that record was recorded so long ago. Yeah, it started that long ago. Yeah, it was December of '09. It was right around the holidays, and uh, there were a handful of sessions to follow it up. It seemed like on average every six or seven months we'd get back together and chip away at it and... It was probably a total of 10 days at the most together yeah. in the studio. But part of that time was spent actually starting a second record. So we started, we recorded like four new songs at one point. Um, again, that was one of those things where we thought the record was going to come out last summer. For various reasons, it didn't. And we had all set aside time to play some shows around that time. And we just decided, you know, we had this momentum, I kind of felt like, you know, we had more stuff in us and we thought, you know, let's just take three or four days and go back in the studio, record some more songs rather than going out on tour since the record's not coming out. And I'm so glad we did it because we're playing new songs at these shows and we have more to do. So it was one of those things where even in those that 10-day session, part of that is half of record number two. Yeah. How was the vibe recording songs? Because you guys do solo stuff, but also are in bands. So is that kind of a weird dichotomy of you like doing your solo things, but all of a sudden you're in a band again? There's a band mind. There's a, I mean, there's a real raw sort of newness to it during, during those early, those, those first couple of sessions where we were hammering stuff out and just creating the songs right there off the floor, essentially, kind of 
piece by piece and part by part so it wasn't a terribly structured kind of way to bring a record together like well i brought five songs and bazan brought five songs and, you know yeah it wasn't like that it wasn't like that at all so much of it was constructed right there in the moment and it took time and you know definitely put some new wrinkles in our brains as far as just uh i don't know i don't i don't think we had we had really operated like that with our bands think, very well yeah, we always brought material had. in and showed them the way and like this is kind of how the song goes this is part this part and that's how that's supposed to go but with the construction of this record by and large it was uh really sussed out and constructed right there in the studio um is which is producer? an exciting way to live. I mean, it's kind of yeah. a fun working without a net type of feeling. Well, they're in the studio and then remotely. Yeah, like then they, there were a handful of, yeah. of times where I would go maybe cut some backing vocals or like he mentioned, uh, do some drums originally and just send drum parts across. Like is, if this brings up any ideas, like here's basically a song on the drums you know like here are the these drum parts see, as songs see should think. be written drums first <laughs> it's a strange way to write but it's kind of fun i think i i, I think it uh, educates and informs a person as a performer and as a writer to write on instruments that you aren't that, that that maybe aren't your number one sort of go-to you know it seems so natural like well i'll just pick up the guitar and start messing around it's like pick up a bass or try it on drums you know like Put up, put some parts together, and see what might come out of that. That's an exciting way to write, and I think that was there was a real newness and a rawness to that that we all really embraced. I think originally, I may be wrong with this, but I feel like originally we talked like we'll just make an EP or something. Yeah, we'll make would. something pretty easy. It'll take a week or so, and we'll, but there wound up being enough material to justify a full record, which wound up being this record that we're supporting right now. What I think is interesting is I feel like I love Centromatic and I, I love New Year and Bedhead, but sonically the bands are sort of are so different. Like I feel like there's kind of more twangy stuff, like more like slower stuff. I mean, what was it like kind of merging those styles together? I mean, was it just a natural thing or did you kind of write differently or was it? Uh, I think what what to me was sort of satisfying and enjoyable about enjoyable about this whole process was that you know for the past you know 20 plus years matt and i've written songs together and we don't really have methods but we have like kind of like will was saying you have your go-to thing that you, you play something you play things on guitar and, and we definitely you know you try to break out of that you know you change your tunings on guitar you write something on piano whatever and uh but you still are you're 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 doing it on your own or with you know a familiar partner and then when you add in two other people that you've never done that with before but you trust their instincts what was cool about this was that i think all 10 songs were kind of constructed and and developed and written in completely different ways um they did start on different instruments or they started with one person's idea or they started with the, the band completely collaborating together and they finished out in different ways too like it was 
like Will was saying, you know, we decided later on this should have a Will doing a harmony to Dave. And so we said, Will, can you go into the studio down there and do this? And then, you know, we didn't say what to do. We were just like, Will, you know what to do. Go in there and do it. Do your thing. And then we would get a vocal track back from the studio and just think, that's great. You know, let's that finishes the song. And uh, it was little stuff like that. It was, you know, me sitting at home adding another guitar part to something or, you know, whatever. And uh, there were some times when lyrics weren't finished and, and, you know, Dave went back to Seattle and, you know, finished those and then recorded the vocal there. And to me, having all that stuff happen in such different ways uh, and then still come together as a record, I feel like. I mean, other people may feel differently, but I felt like it came together as a cohesive record when it could have been a real hodgepodge jumbled you know, sort of thing. So that's what I enjoyed about it was that it was just the doors were open for whatever we wanted to do, but still you're sort of applying your intuition and your, you know, the, 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 the skills that each one has to make those things happen. How do you finalize a song? How do you know with all four of you with your skills and opinions, like go, okay, that's the title. Those are the lyrics, the song, this is finished. Again, it was all different. You know, it it's was. like I wish every I had a really neat answer, a very <laughs> yeah. tidy answer. It's I think almost you guys like have stumbled on the secret of a good band. We're trying to discern <laughs> yeah. this. You can just let everyone know. Yeah, well, yeah. It just I mean, sounds like there was no, like there was no bullshit. So it was basically there was no like there's like you take this and go do your thing is the coolest yeah. part about this. Like you know what you need to yeah. do. Like we're yeah. not telling you, you do it. And I it, think that's kind of what and, made and then it. Like, and then you send it to everyone else, and and you know it. Like, do you guys like this? Is it is it cool? And, and you know, the... I mean, I know personally, Matt and I have always been... Tried to be our own harshest critics. And it's one of the lucky things about having a, a someone that you do that with is that you can bounce something off of them in a really fresh way. And this, for me, was an expansion of that you know, that you could bounce it off three other guys and they could in turn do the same thing. And so there was, uh, it, it was definitely the kind of thing where, where everyone wanted to make sure that everyone in the band liked what they did. I think that was an important part of it, you know, that, that we're pleasing the other guys. With do you think that comes done. from being fans of the music or, or being, you know, friends for? Uh, I think, you know, it's it's going back to what y'all were saying earlier about going into the studio, you know, how well, I guess what you were saying earlier, how did it feel to to, you know, have your own bands but then collaborate with someone with new people and the the thing that made it so easy is that we were all friends. It's like if we had all gotten together for a fishing trip it would have been cool too, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's, it could have been macrame. If we had come or, out of there with origami yeah. or whatever we wanted to do, it would have been fine. Yeah, origami it, though can start some fights if you don't fold it correctly. You have to be careful. <laughs> it gets Maybe serious. We'll find that out. Yeah. Soon. I don't know before sound check. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's exactly what this sounds like. It sounds like you guys got together and like ah. Uh, 
Well, this could be fun. Like but, it sounds like, yeah. had you guys decided cooking, you probably would have had a good cookbook by now. Like, yeah, it like well, a great you know, and it's the kind of thing too where um, if we had come out with nothing, we would have just admitted that, yeah. you know, admitted you know defeat, and and everything would have been exactly the same as it was before. But you know, I think it, to me it was like it was the kind of thing where you realize we realized pretty you know fairly quickly that you know it was going to work on some basic fundamental level and but it wasn't even discussed that's what was kind of cool we just kind of kept moving forward without you know even discussing it in the first few days i think the mutual fanship and the years of respect and friendship that kind of provide the common denominator for the whole band propelled that I think there was just an understanding that we wanted to do right by one another and we were coming in we were coming in with this with a nice combination of having known each other for years so we we didn't have to I don't know there was just no uh, we didn't have to walk in the door on our best behavior so to speak or mm-hmm. something you know we yeah. were able to be very frank with one another if something was working or not working and I think that definitely fueled things in a real positive way but I, I, if it, you know there there were no pleasantries kind of uh i don't know i'm i'm not going to say there weren't pleasantries thrown about or anything but just the we were able to get right down to business and and be very frank with one another sounds like something. a mutual respect level what's you know, that sounds like a mutual respect for everybody very much so and also i, I think I if you're in a band and you deal with other people in bands and then you're in a band with guys who have bands yeah. you know how to um for lack of a better term, avoid the crap. Yeah, well, you, it's a it's one of those things too that we actually have verbalized is that when you're kind of the leaders or singers or songwriters or whatever of your band, it's nice to get together with other guys who are who do the same thing because you get to let a little bit go. You, you, do you don't have the response as much on your shoulders too. But at the same time, you gain some insight in this real wonderful informative way like of 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 picking up on how others write and how they create it's a nice vantage point to go in with other folks what did you learn from these guys what's that what did you learn well we love to cook and make things and i knew it with exotic reductions like <laughs> nutella and vodka <laughs> kind of thing and champagne what's champagne oh man it's a type of champagne, I believe, but it's a yeah. more economical, <laughs> yeah. much easier way to make. I haven't heard, I haven't thought about that since college. Champagne, good God! Did Dave kind of tone down his kind of diva attitude for these sessions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's still there a lot. Yeah. He shows up late for everything after we've already all loaded in. Loaded in and got everything set up. And he, he just call rock the stars time, right on the stage. I know. It was funny. Bob texted me this morning. He's like, they're running a little late. Yep. It's probably Dave's fault. <laughs> it wasn't this it morning, wasn't. but uh, well, at least I thought. And then, of course, he shows up after us. We're the ones running late. I take You can't be late for that. <laughs> With it, you know. We call that the good time Charlie kind of thing, you know, <laughs> when you show up. After everything's loaded in or after everything's loaded out, you spend your good time Charlie credit. So, <laughs> so well, you live in Texas? I do, yeah. How, 
where are you? You're in Denton? I'm in Austin now. You're in Austin now? Yeah, but I was in Denton for about 14 years. I One of my favorite bands who I never got to see were Slobberbone. Great band, and they're starting to do some stuff again. It seems like uh, I saw them play about six weeks ago in Austin. It's great to see those guys playing again, and, and I think they're kind of messing around with the idea of making another record before too long. It seems, seems like they're starting to get the wheels cranking a little bit based again. on their name they're now my favorite band they're great and I, you know what record i listened to last night was that drams record yeah which is also really good it's a great record it's a really cool pop record i thought it was a cool direction for them but i i love both bands but i'm excited to know that it, if nothing else i'm just excited to see slobberbone out playing again i don't know about touring but it's they've definitely been doing some texas shows here and there what and, is it about that area where bands that are really awesome form and then never tour and just play like like, like, mark, <laughs> like mark man high tension wires yeah. like god bless. you gotta you gotta drive a long way to get out of texas yeah, yeah just to get out of texas yeah. it takes a little effort for sure so it definitely you those know, records are so ridiculous keep you contained and <laughs> You realize the halfway point between Texarkana and Los Angeles is, I believe it's El Paso. You're still in Texas yeah. when wow. you're like, there's a little mileage perspective. There's a really fascinating road sign, a uh, mileage sign as you're coming into Texas going westbound from Louisiana. You see the first, you know, welcome to Texas sign. And then the next sign says Beaumont, 27 miles, El Paso, 853 and it's it's just like they could have said Houston or San Antonio, but instead they give you the full like yeah. we're going to give you the full menu right now and let you know how long you're going to be with us. And it's like 853 miles, and you'll be in the same state. Get some gas. <laughs> That's why everybody drives across the Panhandle. What is that? The seventy? No, forty. Whatever. It's forty. Like, yes, yeah, the forty. Yeah. Seventies north. Yeah. Confused. Because I remember doing that going, and then that's a day. That's yeah. still that damn far. Yeah. Well, that's still no excuse. Those bands are too good. Yeah, it's true. Um, and Central Matter put out a record last year. We put out a record in the summer of eleven, a couple okay. of years ago, and we're just finishing. Uh, we just finished tracking for the next record in the last couple of weeks. We still got to mix and master it, but um, yeah, we're working on a new one right now. And you also, like Dave, do the house shows. Mm-hmm. What's that kind of experience been like? It's been, it's great. I gotta say, like it. it and I've, I've I've attended a number of them. The reason I started doing them was really kind of at the by the encouragement of Dave and our manager Bob. I went to see one of his in 2009 when he first started doing the living room tours, and I really enjoyed the way that it um, it cut down some of the some of the subconscious barriers that exist at venue shows. It definitely put folks on a uh, kind of a neutral plane i mean obviously you're in a private residence and you kind of gotta like you gotta seek it out you know it's not like going down to the venue and taking your place in the corner and kind of witnessing the show and taking off it i've found that it encourages a real sense of uh community it um it forges friendships and encourages conversation and it's it's definitely um i just enjoy the the climate that that it provides i think it's a it's a nice uh i don't know it's a it's a it's a nice break from a typical venue kind of setting and there's no backstage there's no you know there's nothing like that you're just in it together and to me it it almost it makes me think of what performing music 
might have been like in in earlier times when performers went from village to village and just kind of sat in rooms and entertained each other and figured out ways to to just entertain and 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 communicate and so uh in in those ways it's been really rewarding and really satisfying i've managed to make a handful of good friends throughout the whole just probably seven or eight tours that i've done I like the fact that there's no PA system. Uh, the production is essentially a chair. You know, you sit you sit in a chair and you you play your songs. And I really like how it pairs things down. It's a nice break from the volume sometimes and of 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 the traditional rock show, I suppose too. And it gives me a chance to work on my very questionable comedy routine. Uh, <laughs> I also love seeing the inside of other strangers' apartments. I go and get a lot of paint. Like I get a lot of ideas just by going into these people's houses. I'll get some paint color ideas, and I, I want to. It sounds like a joke, but I played one in Louisiana in February, and and my wife was traveling with me on that segment of the tour, and we were standing in the dining room. We wound up asking the couple, like, "What, what paint color is this? It's incredible!" And the guy was just like, "Hang on, my sister works at the." you know this paint place i'll i'll get the exact code and number and brand and everything for you so he called her it's like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> got the he got the exact paint color and everything from her what and paint color was it I'm it was like this kind of uh olive almost like an olive brown sort of uh hybrid nice color we really loved it <laughs> And you don't get that at the venue, you know? And I swear six weeks later, our bedroom was that color. <laughs> this is not a joke. I mean, so living room touring that. provides some really nice... You're like, you're like, you know, you're entering these people's home and you're basically the star of the show. And afterwards, you're like, damn, this is a really lovely color. What is that? that? Is beautiful yeah. color. I think yeah. that's great. I have to be careful sometimes, though, because a lot of time, I think my tendency is to just gravitate toward the kitchen and hang out there before or after the show. And I realize, like, I'll catch myself staring at things that are none of my business you know just like pictures on a refrigerator or something like i was like i don't know these people i shouldn't be looking at this but but at the same time the paint color things like or just decoration ideas are certainly it's kind of exciting i think i, I think, think the fridge like, pictures are fair game because that's they put, put them, them on the there, fridge yeah. yeah you can exactly. look i think that you should most if you people were don't like, put things they hate on the refrigerator <laughs> yeah it's usually like stuff they you know it's like sometimes there, there's no that's not gonna be anything inappropriate you know i wouldn't feel like you're not going through like the underwear drawer you know that well depending on your who depends on i guess the host if they encourage that then, that's then you're fine. at a different yeah. kind of party and you right. should have mm-hmm. researched more I have asked a couple of times, you know, with the with the host, like, is everything okay? Is everything intact? Does it seem like everything's still in place and nothing got broken? Right, we're cool, and it's like, yeah, it's totally cool, you know. Like, but because it is a, it's a big. It, it seems like a living room show. Like, well, it's a small venue. It's like it's informal. It's easy, but it's a big deal for a person to open up their home to forty strangers and have them in and and hanging out and drinking and you know asking questions and it's. It's kind of like hosting a party with people you don't really know a lot of the time. So with that, I think it, you know, it, there's a certain gravity to it and a certain, um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to do that. I'm not sure that I'd open up my home to 40, I've always been blown away by the whole thing that it works. It's kind of like I was blown away by eBay when it first happened. Yeah. You gotta be kidding me. This is going to work. Anarchy. You know, yeah. and and that's the same kind of thing. It's like 
it restores a little bit of faith in humanity that people can and organize it, and do all that stuff and open up their homes and sell things to people and it's whatever. A, it's a really big deal. And, and, and the fact that, you know, we all drive up that same street kind of looking for the address and, and we're, you know, it's got a little bit of that high school party kind of feel to it where, you know, it's like, is that it? No, that's not it. Is that it? So just go where all the cars are, you know, and then we'll go in and take our beer and sit for a while. But, but it does going back to what I was saying before, I've found that it has encouraged some friendships and a little bit of a culture of its own to where some hosts, they know about each other and they have created, um, kind of makeshift venues out of their homes and they're hosting numerous shows per year. Um, Does anybody and, have like, say the, you know, redone basement game room kind of thing? Or is it, mo- cause I've only been to one of, of Bazan's yeah. and it was like, uh, you know, duplex living room. Right. Basically. Yeah. And like, just kind of like what you'd expect, but I didn't, does anybody, like you said, you know, create more of a like a venue environment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There are a couple of people that have, have But how many shows are they even have like lighting systems and full oh, PAs no if you want to use them. How many how many times are they doing it in a year? It depends. There's you know, there's one gal that I've I've played at her place of I guess two or three times now and she's essentially created like an eighty capa- you know, capacity of eighty people venue yeah. in her basement with a small bar off to the right and like there's a full lighting rig That's and PA awesome. if you want to use it. Clubs um, are gonna start going out of business. And she like <laughs> she you know, say, she cooks yeah. for she cooks for you when you show up and you're free to stay there if you like, but she's wonderful and and and, and at the same time I think it has made you know sometimes it can make promoters a little bit uneasy because they understand like, wow, the, the treatment's really good. <laughs> that, how do we compete with that? Um, I think that's a rare thing. I, I think the living room thing is by and large, it's uh, its own thing and it doesn't necessarily threaten the venue show too much, but in a smaller town and a smaller community community, I could see that being the case possibly, but it is interesting because some, some, some hosts really put on a big spread. It's an excuse to put on a, quite a production with tons of food and drinks and like really host, host a, a, a big event. And then other hosts are pretty brass tacks, you know, it's like there's the chair and come on in and do the show. And then once it's over you know, and, and both are fine, the, the hosts are not obligated to provide anything really other than a chair and like kind of, low lighting and that's about it are there a lot of situations over like the end of the night that he's like yeah let's hang out all night and party and you guys are like we want to kind of go to bed (laughs) sometimes yeah (laughs) sometimes and i'll try to split the difference on that a little bit i'll i'll hang for a while but if it has been a really like a heavy drive day particularly in the west you know if you're driving six eight hours a day in the west or something like that i'll usually make mention of that early on and and hang for a little while but i'll get out of there before you know it gets too late or something like that but some people really do want to hang out they really want to make a big night of it and then others are very courteous and very tidy about the whole thing it's like okay that's it show's over we've got kids and school in the morning thanks for coming out (laughs) that's all so but the cool another thing is that that's nice about it is that the the nights are early i mean the show starts about 8 or 8 15 and theoretically everything's I mean, the show's done by nine thirty or so. Every show is like Me that. too. So everybody could be, be out the door by ten. God, 
Can you guys play at nine o'clock tonight? We play at nine forty-five. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's, That's what nice I just I just read on the itinerary that beautiful yeah, yeah so there you go that's Wish my kind of start time. i like that yeah <laughs> but in new york that's damaging because that means you can still be out till about four that's right yeah that's <clears throat> that's the other thing about the living room thing if you're having a hard morning the next day with a big hangover it's usually by totally by your own hand you know or if it's been too late of a night it's not because you had to play too late or load out right, late right. because the show was done at 9 30 <laughs> cursed self-control yeah oh, but our uh are the New Year? It's been a while since the last record. America. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's? Are you and Matt still play together a lot, or what? What have you been uh, doing outside of overseas? We uh, have been gradually working on another record. Um, we have, you know, I guess about eight or so songs. We, you know, we always kind of. Uh, do tend to jettison some along the way that aren't working or whatever. And so there've been a few of those, but I think we have about eight or so that we're happy with. And we actually started recording some of it. Um, we've always recorded, uh, with Steve Albini up at his studio in Chicago, or we, we have since the last bedhead record. And so we went up there, I guess it was last spring and did do some basic tracks for some of the stuff. And, you know, it'll sound super lame if I tell you all the reasons why we haven't finished it, but it's, it's little stuff and it's, it's, it's little specific things that we're not sure about. And also just kind of trying to figure out, um, how it should all come together. And so there have been these, uh, there have been some logistical reasons why it, it hasn't finished, but also just creative ones too. Like, um, anyway, it's hard to explain, but you know, but it, but it's in the works. Definitely. I mean, and I love all the stuff you guys did with Albini and all the, the Silkworm stuff that they did with him and all those touch and go that era. I mean, was it a bummer for you when touch and go kind of stopped putting out? New oh records? yeah. It was a bummer and a shock. For sure. I mean, we had, um, that was, uh, I guess that was in 2009. Um, and, you know, just like three years prior to that, we had just played the Touch and Go 25th anniversary, you know, big festival thing that they had done, which was awesome. You know, our last, our feeling at the time was, oh, this is, you know, big and healthy and go on forever. And, Corey was, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a, uh, smart guy who's also, um, you know, I think the main thing was that he saw something coming down the pipe, which was, this is not going to continue to be sustainable. And I think what, you know, what he said, cause I talked to him on the phone, you know, when all that was going, he called every band, told everybody, you know, what was going on. And he basically, in a nutshell, did not want to be the guy who doesn't pay royalties because the label's in trouble. So basically, I think what he did was pare down soon enough that that never, you know, it never became a problem as far as that goes. In other words, the money that's coming in from record sales wasn't going to pay debt. You know, it, it's still flowed back out to the bands and so you know they were 
I don't want to say anything incorrect, but I want to say there was maybe like 25 people or so who worked for Touch and Go, and they owned their own big warehouse building in Chicago, and I think it's pared down to like four people now. And now they're out in Seattle, and it's back catalog sales and a few reissues, like they reissued you know, a few things like Jesus lizard stuff or something like that. And, uh, but other than that, it's very much just kind of maintaining <coughs> the catalog sales. And all, as far as all that goes, it's fine. I mean, we still, you know, get our usual statements and reporting and everything. Nothing's changed. They've always been cool. Everything's always worked like clockwork. And so, you know, for us, the only problem and for many of the other bands is that, you know, for the first time in our recording history, we don't have a label and we're not involved with Touch and Go. You know, because even through Trance, all the bedhead stuff, we all de- we dealt with Touch and Go all the time. Everything went through Touch and Go. So we have since 93 been with Touch and Go. And now, you know, we don't know necessarily, we haven't shopped the next New Year record around or anything like that because it's not done, but... So that's kind of weird. It's just that, you know, it, it, I would love for it to have kept going. Yeah. Of course. I mean, J-Tree went through that too, didn't they? They went catalog a while ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a yeah. lot of labels, I feel yeah. like, do that. I mean, SST has been that way yep. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. SST is, at least to my knowledge, still, it's it's run out of Taylor, Texas yeah, now. Yeah, so do you ever see Greg in? I've never seen him, but I was looking at houses out there about five years ago, and it was... Uh, it was really kind of bewildering. I was just downtown kind of checking the place out and it was like barbershop, cafe, antique store, SST records. And it was just like, it was strange. It was oh, surreal. they have an actual retail store there? It's not a store, but it's it's where he's got his warehouse. Really? And I guess they do all their shipping and all their business out of Taylor. It's like, it's in the Austin area, but obviously it's cheaper to be out there and easier to get space. Something know? has to pay for those lawsuits. Hmm? Something has to pay for those lawsuits. That, that, that situation is so, so silly. It's just like one of many. For yeah. them, you know? It just caught me off guard seeing that big SST sign in Taylor, Texas. It was yeah. really, I knew they were in the area, but I didn't Taylor's know. Taylor's an old, like, you know, small Texas town. Yeah. That, you it's know, railroad still town. looks like an old town, you know. Yeah. That's, that's what amazed me, and I'm sure you guys have seen it just from touring, is that when you, I went to a wedding in New Mexico, and it's like every town is last picture show, you know? Yeah. You don't even quite realize it that that's America, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just pockets of that. And yeah. I live in Jersey, and there's pockets of that. Yeah. But that's like how everything's just spread out. And now with, you know, the mollification, it's almost nice to see those towns that, you know, don't have the best buy here. Yeah, oh, Taylor. Taylor's towns, like though. that. Taylor's very much like that. I feel like it's kind of a bummer to, to even when you're traveling or driving cross country and you're seeing so many of the like the wall, not even just the Walmart, but like the the Walgreens, the, these like just that mm-hmm. weird tan colored block that's like, in the middle of everything, uh, and all the mom and pop shops are kind of gone. Yeah. And if yeah. you're on the interstates, for sure, that's that's all you see. I mean, if you get off on you know some smaller state highways and stuff. You, you get a little bit more reassurance that there is a little bit of that yeah. left. The town, the town square can still survive, uh, love, you know, yeah. here and there. But I mean, I, even Denton still has retained that we we played in Denton a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't been there in a while. And yeah. you know, it's still just like the cool town square, and it's built up around there, but it's not 
built up with chain it managed places. to preserve it's, its core in a really great and it's way a, it's, where a, it's a good mix of independent business and it's it's totally. growing as well no where do you have to fight that you know oh yeah, yeah. like we're down at fighting the, the money dude we're at the shore last week and um in ocean city new jersey which is this like old dry you know family resort and uh years ago like mcdonald's won and they, there's a mcdonald's there and yeah. last year a dunkin donuts yeah. And this yeah, year, they, a Starbucks. Yeah, they're fighting it because fight I mean, where my family is too in, uh, in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. It's a similar, similar vibe. It's a te- they don't allow anyone to build up. Yeah. So every the main street's been the same way since the early 1900s. It's beautiful, and it's all mom and pop businesses. Like they're like, why are we going to let a Starbucks here? That we have our own coffee shop, and mm-hmm. it's like I kind of dig that vibe, and I've, oh, I gravitate toward it. You know. Yeah, and and you know they don't need to be everywhere. No, you know they can like just leave a few places alone it's inspiring to see a handful of towns and cities really holding on to well it's kind of like you all the places that were smart enough to do like say city ordinances like santa fe for example you know the city ordinances height and also everything's adobe Mm -hmm. you know so it's still i was there this past uh, a month or so ago and i hadn't been in a long time still looks basically the same yeah you know in a good way and, you know, you have to kind of just say, this is our zone. You can play around on the interstate and yeah, do whatever right. you want, but just just leave us. That's the way Bastrop here. is. Like the, the, oh, dude, the highway really? is littered with, you know, it's, it's got the box stores and so forth. But if you cross over to the river and get into downtown, there's nothing like that. It's, it's, That's all, cool. it's all independent and mom and pop, and they're very strict about that. But even Austin, to a degree, has held on to that as, as yeah, long it as it could. Yeah. yeah. It's... I just was enlightened to this a few weeks ago, but I, as I understand it, it's now the 11th largest city in the nation. Yeah. So it's like, obviously, there's just going to be... One of the fastest growing. Yeah, sure. but they've held on as long as they could, I think, in a really good way. Even the airport, all the businesses within the airport are Austin-based. <coughs> so, you know, if you fly in, you don't see a McDonald's or a Starbucks. Instead, you get Rudamaya coffee and, you know, Thunderbird sandwiches and barbecue that's shipped in from that's the hill awesome. country every day it's kind of cool awesome. that they're still holding on yeah, to that because that. Cool. i'm saying all this as i have a starbucks cup next to me. Uh, <laughs> corporate shield because it was uh, penn station and i came in and i just wanted well, nice tea you know those those sorts of preservation kind of things and that's that sort of you know austin is seen as a hippie town and a lot of places like that are seen as liberal hippie towns who do that kind of stuff but then those are the places that everybody wants to go on vacation to yeah. or whatever. You know, they want to they want to go to those places and, you know, you have to start making the connection that what you do and what you support is not really where you want to be right. half the time, you know. Yeah. Well, I think there's also a lot of parallels. This might be a stretch, but with both of your – all the bands you guys have been in, like – None of them, I feel like, are super commercial-oriented bands. And I feel like maybe the fan bases aren't huge, but everyone that's into them, like, really loves it. Like, I've probably listened to more than ever 10,000 times. Like, <laughs> you know, it's one of my favorite songs ever. I mean, do you feel like you're happy kind of being on that fringe to an extent and having that kind of dynamic as opposed to playing these kind of faceless arenas or whatever? Yeah, I... I think so you know i i don't i can't i can't give you an informed opinion on the arena sort of thing because i've never really spent much time <laughs> right, playing right, right. performing music in that type of realm but and in, in so many ways i think uh 
I always I use the term cottage industry sometimes, and maybe I abuse it, but keeping things and and keeping your overhead low, and uh, keeping I don't know, trying to figure out ways to cut cut out uh, cut out stops to the fan, like to make things very to make the attachment between band and fan very direct and and kind of homegrown. I think it does allow a ton of freedom to do you know we just don't have people looking over our shoulders criticizing the font on the spine of a record that we've chosen or or, so it does allow a whole lot of freedom without a doubt we can kind of take a turn and do another collaboration or make a solo record or make an art rock record there's just a ton of freedom in that and 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 so with again i'm speaking from one side of things but without uh, flirting with a commodified kind of giant arena type of thing. It, uh, there's a lot of pleasure in that freedom, without a doubt. That's why a lot of those bands try and play one-offs. Like you know, if like a you certain you know certain bands, they'll play like a big venue, and then if you listen, you'll know they'll be playing a smaller room yeah. the other night. You know, yep. and it's because you miss that and you like that, and it is more uh, intimate. There's no nudging of, you know, management people need to get out of the way, you know, so to get to the thing that we want to do or, and, and there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of joy in that to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a trade off. It's like, you know, you use the word happy, you know, are you happy to be on the fringe or whatever? I mean, I don't know that any of us would not be more happy to sell more records or whatever, sure. you know what I mean? Like you don't choose to, oh, I'm cutting this off at x number or whatever (laughs) it's not gonna make me happy to sell any more than that you know you but like what will said you have a you have a trade-off i mean over all the freedom that you have for everything that he just said you do have to have to do things a little more on the cheap and you know um you you worry a little more about like show attendance or something sure. or whatever, you know, and of course you worry about that at larger levels too, but there is a benefit. like Will and I were talking about this the other day. There, there are some bands who will make the jump to like a bus tour from a van tour to a bus tour too quickly, you know, and they'll kind of jump the gun, get in over their heads and, and, and it's not sustainable. And I think there are those different levels. There's like the dude driving in his car to go play living room shows. There's the band in a van. There's the bigger crew in a bus. There's the bus with the semi, you know, and, it, and then you're carrying your own sound system. So there are all these different levels. And I think the the level that we're on has always been band in a van for the most part, you know, for all of our bands. And it does have its great upsides. You're totally you know, in charge of your own destiny in a way. Yeah. And you don't have anybody telling you what to do, but you are also crashing on floors and, you know, you, there's no big spread backstage or whatever. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money and you're trying to justify being on the road at all versus having a job at home or whatever. There's that, there's, is a tipping point for a lot of people where it, you become a musician for a living and a lot of that involves, as Will would know, staying on the road a lot. So that's another set of trade-offs. Trade-off between the road and family and whatever. And, of course, people who are bigger and more successful can maybe tour less or something, you know. 
There's that. I've talked to you know certain bands where they've gotten to a point in their careers where if they do have to tour more, what's good is they can spread it out more. Where it can be three weeks here, three weeks at home, three weeks here, three weeks at home. Which really, of course, that's a hard three weeks, but you know it balances itself out mm -hmm. from when you're at home. You can be at home, you know, like, like with your family. And your yeah, kind of I remember back in the Bedhead days, um, we would go out on a tour. And everybody was a little screwed getting back home with jobs and stuff. Like our bass player would have to get a new job or whatever, you know, because he had to quit the one. Or like the his employer said, no, it's cool. And so he went out on the tour. And then when he got back, he didn't have a job, you know, that sort of thing. But then we would play with bands, you know, where, where you know, you end up talking about this kind of stuff and just telling them those sorts of woes or whatever and you know for us it was it was risky and a bitch to go out on the road and for some of these other bands that tour all the time they couldn't get off the road right yeah. you know so yeah. that it'll switch at some point yeah you know and it's just at some point you make that call okay it's gonna flip yeah you know there are numerous bands that they they have to stay on the road just to they can't be at home, right? They they don't get they're not making the luxury of the the home time because that flip that that has taken place, and then suddenly, uh, in some cases, I've witnessed the road kind of consume them, just physically and spiritually in so many ways, and that's not necessarily always a healthy thing. So it's it's a little bit like you were saying the three weeks on, three weeks off sort of thing. It's a matter of one striking a balance with what's comfortable for your life and your family but it's also a matter of regularly communicating with your bandmates about what works for you and i think that uh encourages and and definitely fuels longevity and sustainability for a band a lot of it is really just talking it out and figuring what's good for you and what's not. And and if you bottle that up, sometimes I think you can get a little trapped and exhausted and it's not good for the health of the band. So, so much of it is just discussing things and what's working for you now that maybe didn't work for you then. What changes you want to make about your touring habits, uh, how it affects personal life and things like that. And I think in so many ways that just that allows life, better life for a band and longevity, in my opinion. It really is like a marriage. It is. Oh, yeah. It very much is it in is. so many ways. Yeah. It takes a lot of communicating and a lot of foresight and a lot of uh, checking out the calendar and seeing w where you'll be, say, late November and considering how tired you might be after those days, those five days in a row in the West or whatever, do we really want to play a show on that sixth day or would a day off be more valuable to rest and recuperate and just take some time and go out for a nice supper? And it, it's, a work, it's always a work in progress. It's always a tweaking sort of thing. And, 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 and it's never perfect, but you can make it better and better, I think, each year. And that sort of preservation inspires, I think, inspires things forward with more touring and more records hopefully down the line it's amazing how bands do that like it, it can all be used as an analogy for should we play anchorage alaska because so many bands the reason mm. you don't do that it's like just because you have a stop off in hawaii doesn't mean you're going to be able to play there any band yeah, right. you know yeah. any band whatever whatever mm. size you are and <clears throat> to 
people are starving for music up there, but if you can't afford to get up there, it's yep. not going to be beneficial. Right. That's why most people don't do it. Yeah. And yeah. that's I mean, exactly what you're saying. occasionally get, you know, like some crazy big offer to go play some out of the way place, mm-hmm. but it's pretty rare, you know, mm-hmm. but it is like, there'll be a place that's hungry for something, you know, somewhere, but you know, it's some band, they're also these same sort of cutoff points. I mean, some bands can say, you know, head from Texas, for example, and go play Albuquerque and Phoenix on the way to LA and have good shows on, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday night. Well, most bands can't. Right. And so you just make that kind of stuff work as cheaply as possible on the way out to LA. And, you know, it's, we like with the overseas shows that we're doing right now, you know, we just kind of decided early on, we weren't going to do that. You know, we're going to, we played Texas two weeks ago, did three shows. We flew in to play these two shows here. We're going to go out to the West Coast in October and Seattle down to L.A. You know, at some point we need to go up to Chicago, you know, and kind of do the Midwest. But we just decided, you know, and luckily we're we're getting good enough offers and everything that we can afford to do it. But we just kind of decided that's the way we're going to do it for this, you know. Seems like you guys have to play overseas at some point too. Because yeah, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that mood like when you? you but then the, the U.S. will be overseas while we're over there. Oh yeah, that's true. The U.S. will be overseas <laughs> yeah. while we're there. So Damn, perfect. Right. <laughs> when you go overseas, do you have to change the name? It, yeah, it'll be like overseas U.S. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It just sounds like since bands are like marriages, you know, and you guys are all having like this lovely affair in this new mm-hmm. band right, together, right. like this kind yeah. of group, group of sex. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds like it's yeah. awesome, you know, like this is kind of, a you know. Like, Col- yeah, collaborations are in a yeah. sense very, very acceptable and allowable affairs. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. you're all allowed to cheat and uh, yeah. let's just okay. go and have some fun. It's going to yeah. be open and, and you know. Get it out of your system. Get it out of your system. Have a little cuss time. (laughs) Sure. Have cuss time. Have a little cuss time. (laughs) Come back. Come back to the camp. Always taking it down. I don't even know if we were recording. No, we're not. (laughs) Yeah, let's end it with that. Can you can you tell the cuss time story? The cuss time story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Great writer Jill McCorkle, North Carolina, born and bred. Now she's up in Boston, I believe. But um, went to uh, hear her read a few years ago, and she was talking about before she started doing the reading, she was talking just family stuff and her kids talking about her kids and, um, mentioned the concept of cuss time, which, uh, I believe it's once or twice a week that she would allow this, but it's like kids are obviously so enthralled with the taboo, the taboo and the satisfaction of spitting out cuss words. So what she would do instead of like having them sort of build that tension up over the week she would allow five minutes a five minute session where the kids were allowed to say whatever they wanted whatever cuss words they wanted she'd set a timer she's like okay that's it cuss time five minutes you know and the kids would just go wild saying everything they could think of just to get it out of their system and then when the timer went off that's it cuss time is over but it sounds to me like it was a really healthy concept until like, I think the neighbor kids started con- getting clued in on it and one was like, "Hey, we heard you cuss guys have party. cuss time. Can we, we go over to cuss? Yeah, can, we go, can we come over and cut?" And that's when it got a little bit. I think, as I understand, it got a little dicey. Then, like, yeah, it's <laughs> hard. Think, it's hard to see down the road that yeah. far, like where that could lead. Exactly. But conceptually, I really like the idea of it. And as a as a father, I think I'm going to start. If if it comes to that, you know, where the kids are really wanting to cuss, maybe I'll allow 
maybe I'll go for cuss time as time goes on. We'll see. We'll see how they feel about cussing. My cuss time is just in the car. Like yeah. I just notice I I'm the worst. I just hate everybody in the car. Like when you're driving is where I come up with the most creative. Like I called somebody the other day a, a cock knock, and I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> it's like fucking cock knock, and then my wife's like, "That's a new, that's new," and I was yeah. like, nah. "You know, I don't know where that came from, but it's my car. Maybe that's my cuss. That's my cuss time." You're a real artist, Mike. Listen, what I come up with, and like, you cut me off. I'm gonna paint a picture for you. Credit the cuss time. Or? If no one's called it yet, that's my next band. I said it would Cust be a good time. album title, Custom. Yeah. Oh, what better. record is that on? That's on Custom. That's on Custom. Yeah. Track six. Yeah. Fart knocker. <laughs> knock. Yeah. Yeah. Cock knock. <laughs> Critics and fans were astonished when Cock knock, the first single of Custom. <laughs> like, now, for those of you who follow along, Take notes on that previous episode. Go back, listen to it again. Because next week when we talk to uh, Dave and... We are going to talk to Dave and Matt Cadane. Dave and Matt uh, about overseas. It's fun to hear their take on how the band came together yeah, and how the songwriting goes. I'm glad we did this separate because I feel like maybe they each learned about each other <laughs> and their own band and their brother. Which has been the goal of going off track since yeah, the beginning. For you to learn about yourself and those that you are it's worth. It's a journey of self-discovery. Through other people oh, separately. God. Yes, but um, check out the overseas <laughs> record. Stay tuned next week for the episode with the other two dudes because it's equally as awesome. The record's awesome, and all of our listeners are awesome. So keep uh, visiting us on Facebook at Going Off Track. We're on Twitter at Going Off Track. I'm on Twitter as My Name is Jonah. Steven is Steven Smith Says. Brad is Soundwag. Leave us iTunes reviews. Email oh, yeah. us. Just do anything. Like, just let us know you're there because we like to hear from you. Let us know who you want us to book on the podcast. Oh yeah, we've let, we've done that, and it's actually come true a yes. lot of cases. And let us know if you know about any more musical projects Dave Bazan's doing because we <laughs> would love to talk about it. I have been obsessed with Dave for a very long time. I actually have a lifetime pass laminate that I got from his manager Bob. That any Dave Bazan headlining show, you email this thing on the back and bring it. And you get into any show for the rest of your life for free. Wow! Yeah, would you get a, Would you get a Dave Bazan tattoo if they said you'll get into any show for free if you get the tattoo? I don't. I have a laminate. I don't need a tattoo. <laughs> you lost your laminate. Stupid you question. They said, "Well, if you lose laminate, we'll let you in with this tattoo." Would you do it? No. Because then you have to be buried in reform cemetery. Right? No, it's nothing to do with that. I don't care about that. I just uh, I I feel like that would be kind of like make me seem really cheap if that was my only tattoo. <laughs> it was like to go see this guy. Like I can, I don't know. Cheap or awesome cheap all right fair enough um thanks for listening we love you bye